turn to the book of Hebrews uh, this morning. We've been in a series that we've entitled uh, Jesus the greatest of all time. And we have sung about that. We have prayed to this Jesus. We have uh, spoken about how his uh, greatness has saved us and redeemed us and changed us. And now we open the word and we ask him to challenge us through the preaching of his word so that we might be a changed people leaving here, hopefully different than the way that we entered into this place. And so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter five, starting in verses 11 through 14. uh, And you can find uh, the passage there. I'll be there for the entirety of our time. But you know, growing up as a kid, there was a rite of passage in my family, and I'm going to assume that we were a pretty normal family, that there was a rite of passage for all of us. And it would usually, this rite of passage, take place uh, around Thanksgiving and Christmas or maybe Easter, and it was always when the larger family was around. Uh, It was the time to sit down and eat a holiday meal with extended family and friends, and there was usually more people in the dining room than than could be seated at the dining room. And so in our house, in the kitchen, was the kitty table. How many remember the kitty table, right? Some of you are still there, right? The kitty table. And the kitty table, uh, let's just be honest, we may have lived in different families, but the kitty table, usually one of those rickety card tables, you remember that, with the old 1970s folding chairs uh, that would cut you as you sat if you moved too much because they didn't care about safety in the 70s? But the kitty table had a, usually a plastic tablecloth. It had uh, maybe chinette if you were lucky, but usually paper plates and those uh, chintzy styrofoam cups. And, and you would sit with the other kids in your family, probably your cousins and your siblings, and you would enjoy uh, a more flexible, uh, a more toned down, uh, a more fun table, okay? And there'd be a lot of kid laughter and all of that. Uh, But at some point, at some point, and usually probably around 11, 12, maybe 13, uh, you would be promoted to the adult table, the grown-up table. That was in the formal dining room. Uh, Mom would have the candles out, the nice tablecloth, the nice napkins, the fine china, and the conversation was much more refined. We would talk about business. We would talk about politics. We would talk as men and women do. And there was something about being at that table that made you feel like an adult. Well, I got promoted one Thanksgiving meal. I got promoted and I was so excited and I made sure, okay, I had a couple things I was going to say, a couple things that were going to make me sound just important enough to be able to sit at that important table. And it did not take but five minutes for me to get demoted back to the kiddie table. Such aspiration, such desire, only to go down as I have so many times in flames. It would be quite a while before I'd be invited back to the adult table. Now, why do I bring that up? Number one, because Thanksgiving's coming, and you're going to have to figure out if you're at the kiddie table or the adult table. But more importantly, the book of Hebrews is a book that's written to a group of grown-ups, The writer of Hebrews is speaking to a group of Christians who had been followers of Jesus Christ for some time. Now, the writer writes this letter about 20 to 25 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. These people had walked with Jesus. These people had engaged in a resurrected living because of Jesus, but something had caused them to go back to being a kid. 
Now, let's be honest. It wasn't just because they made a decision that they were going to move from the grown-up table back down to the kiddie table. Something was going on in and around them. And the answer was is there were uh, their fellow Jewish uh, family members and friends who had held to Old Testament Judaism who were upset that these believers had added Jesus to the mix. And because of that, these believers were being pushed down and being persecuted for their faith And what was happening was, is that their growth was being stunted because they chose comfortability over Christ-likeness. They felt like if I get rid of Jesus, then I I can be able to hang with my old friends and family and everything will be okay. But the writer says that in light of all that he's teaching them, he has to call a time out. After talking about Jesus being this great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, that he is the one who once and for all went into the heavenly holy of holies and tore down any division between God and man, that because of Jesus, you and I can enter that holy of holies, not with fear and trepidation, but chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 say, with great confidence we can do it because we have this sympathetic high priest who intercedes on our behalf, all that was going on for these believers, they were willing to give it up so that people might like them. So they may be accepted. They may be brought in. And the writer stops and he says, I got much more to tell you about, but there's a problem. And the problem is, is what I'm saying isn't getting to your heart. And there's a problem with your ears. And so what he does is amidst this conversation, amidst this dialogue about Jesus being the great high priest, he stops and he talks about our hearing and how our hearing is stunting the growth of believers in the first century and believers in the 21st century. Notice what he says, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. About this, about what? About the high priest, about Jesus being the sympathetic high priest who uh, is uh, doing awesome things and allowing us to enter the rest of God, about the word of God, which is living and active. All of these things that he's talked about, he says, about this we have much to say, and he is going to say a lot. He's got chapters more of his letter, but he says, about this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain. Well, Why? Because you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. That is the ABCs, by the way. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's take a moment and let's just pray. And my prayer is that we would listen this morning. Father God, we come before you and we ask that you would open our ears. We're going to be challenged that these believers were dull of hearing. Let that not be true of us today. Surely, Lord, let that not be true of us as we leave this place, as we're challenged by the things that dull our hearing and keep us from hearing from you. Give us an appetite. Give us a hunger for your word and your truth 
so that we may be able to discern good and evil and that we may be able to bring you great honor and glory as a result. We love you and give you praise for it all in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So the writer says right away, you're dull of hearing. That is a pejorative. That is a stinging rebuke. I am talking and you're not listening. Parents of teenagers, you've been there. You're talking and you look at them and it's just this glazed look. I have no earthly idea what you're saying right now, dad. I got nothing. And the writer somehow, knowing that they're not getting it, stops and says, the reason why isn't because what I've written isn't of value. It isn't because I've written in a way that's not um, workable for you. It wasn't that you're too new to the faith. We're going to learn about that in a moment. It was that they were dull of hearing. They were unwilling to do something with the word of God. We want to understand what it is that it means to be dull of hearing. We want to diagnose it. We want to deal with how it comes into our lives. And we want to pray and ask God to lead us to the cure. So let's start with the first thing. we got to acknowledge that this is a condition, this dull of hearing. It was true in the book of Hebrews. And brothers and sisters, it is alive and well in our church today. And I would say it's alive and well in this room Not only in the first service, I know you said, well, yeah, in the first service it was, but in this service as well. Could it be that some of us this morning find ourselves dull of hearing? Here's the thing we need to know and recognize. If we're not listening to the Lord, then we will not know what to do in life. So we've got to acknowledge that this may be true of us. Well, what does it mean, first of all? The idea there, dull of hearing, is really two Greek words connected together. Nothros is how you would say it. Nothros. And nothros is is this idea of no push. No push. It can mean two things. First of all, write this down. It can mean a lack of motivation. The idea here is that they were hearing things that motivated them very little. They had zero desire for what was being talked about. There was no real desire or no real push to study the word, to know the word, to be guided by the word. There were other things that were more important. Now, the Apostle Paul would say this was an indictment against all kinds of people in the last days. He says in the last days, people will put themselves around teachers who will uh, scratch their itching ears or tickle their itching ears, giving them what they want to hear. And so the writer's sitting here saying, I'm telling you that Jesus is the greatest of all time, and you're asleep. You're not listening. There's, There's no desire for you to hear about these things. Now, right away, I know and recognize that some may be here today, and you want to be a million other places totally get that. But I'm going to say, for those that call themselves Christ followers, that's inexcusable. Because we say with our mouth, and we just sang songs, Jesus, you're this. Jesus, you're that. You're the most incredible thing, Jesus. You saved me. You give me hope. You've given me a new life in you. All of these things are true. I just don't want to hear about it. 
I just don't want to uh, have to hear about it because it, it does nothing for me. Let's, let's talk about more important things. I used to think in, in, when I would read that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 that it was talking about false teachers, which it is, that people want to get around them people, teachers that uh, tickle or scratch their itching ears. But brothers and sisters, in our day, there are a lot of preachers out there. And they're not the preachers that you would think. Some of you are far more motivated to hear a political pundit talk for hours on the radio or on a podcast about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Others of you are, are, are willing to listen for hours on what the Bears need to do to fix their quarterbacking woes. And you love it, and you people call in, and man, I've been listening for years, and I love it. Others of you turn on the TV and find yourself uh, motivated by the entertainment and movies and all of that. But when it takes to picking up the Word of God, when it comes to listening to the Word of God, you're like, I got nothing. I got nothing. When are we going to be done? Some of you, as soon as I got up this morning, hit a stopwatch. When will he be done? I'm going to endure this so I can get on to the rest of my life. If that's where you find yourself, and I say that with all graciousness because I've been there myself, you are living in this nothros place that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. You lack the motivation, the desire to know the things of God. Now listen, again, it's not a problem for the world to say, I have no desire to hear about God. I have no desire to hear about the things of God. But what does it say about us as followers of Jesus Christ? My, my parent, or my in-laws, I'm sorry, my in-laws um, have a priest friend. He was a monsignor in the Catholic Church, and he lived with them in the latter years of his life. And we would talk shop, Protestant pastor, uh, Catholic monsignor, father priest, okay? And, and I love talking with Father Hiller, and we would have all these discussions, and we would talk about sermons, all right? And he would say, hey, what are you preaching on? What part of the uh, lectionary calendar are you preaching on this week? I'd say, well, we go through books of the Bible and we're going through, you know, this particular book. And I would talk about it. And he would say, well, you know, what were your points? And I gave him my three points of the week's sermon before that. And he goes, you did all that in eight minutes? And I said, no. Well, how long did you go? Fifteen? No. 20? No. Let me help you, Father. Double that, and then give me a little extra. You know what his response was? And they listen. Listen. He was mystified that people would want to hear the word of God. Mystified. He said, if I go over six or seven minutes, they're gone. And I hear it on the way out. Oh, I hear it. I hear it every once in a while, by the way. I hear it too. Okay? But where's the motivation by the people of God? I liken it to this. I love my wife, Amanda. And let's say that there was going to be, and there's not Amanda, so don't think I'm promising something, but let's say there was going to be a banquet in her honor. Okay? And they're going to set her up on a chair on this table. And we're all here to celebrate and honor Amanda. And people start sharing all these superlatives about Amanda. She's this, she's that, she's wonderful, she's awesome, and all this. And about midway through, I get up and I grab the mic and I'm saying, can we stop talking about Amanda? 
Aren't you married to her? Aren't you in love with her? Well, yeah, but I just tired of hearing about her. We laugh and we say how crazy that thought is. But as Christians, isn't that what we do about Jesus? We love you. You're our great hope. You're our great Lord. You're our great Savior. Can we just keep it to a 30-minute time frame here? Can we just keep the service to as short as possible? Be careful, brothers and sisters, that our motivation, our desire, isn't in a place that we're not where God wants us to be. Number two, this word nothros, what it means is is a lack of motivation. It also means a lack of movement. It literally means to be stagnant or unmoved. Now, you're stagnant or unmoved because, and this is the connection, you're lazy, you're sluggish, you're limp. It's all of these things. And there's no movement from point A to point B. Now, I have three boys, 18, 15, and 12. All of them growing at different levels, at different heights, and we're okay with that. But would we have been okay if Noah was up here and I had Noah and I said, Noah, how old are you? And I wouldn't be up here, I'd be down here. And I'd say, and he says, I'm 18, little guy. What's wrong with him? He looks like he's five. No, he's 18. I know he looks like five, but that's okay. He doesn't need to grow. Yes, he needs to grow. It's a natural thing to grow, to move. But the author says, you stopped growing. You should have been teachers by now. Notice in the text, you should have been teachers by now, but we've got to take you back to grade school where you learn the ABCs. You're not moving. You're not progressing as you should have. He he says, uh, you should have been at this place and you're not. And so we've got to go back and we've got to deal with these, with these, uh, oracles and basic principles, the, the basics of the Bible. But why? Because we suffer from what sociologists say is Peter Pan syndrome. Peter Pan syndrome is something very well known. Of course, it's connected to the uh, Disney uh, movie of, of Peter Pan and this idea that the boy never grows up. And Peter Pan syndrome is what sociologists are dealing right now because we have a millennium, uh, I'm sorry, we have a generation of millennials who have freaked out the rest of the generations because there's this lack of desire to grow up. Now, I'm not here to demagogue or demonize millennials, but this is something you see. You can research this for yourself. And, and what will be asked is, why are millennials lazy? Why are millennials not getting married? Why aren't they finding careers? Why aren't they moving out of the house? Why won't they make dinner and do their laundry? Why, why? Why, why? All of these questions. Some of you are parents and you're all frustrated because by this point you were out, you were raising a family and your millennial child isn't there. What is causing them that? Well, in a magazine article that was written by one of the key sociologists studying this, he said it comes down to one thing. They don't want to grow up. And it's whether bad or good. And, and he was fair with it because what he said was, My parents don't look very happy. My parents don't seem to have joy. My parents don't seem to have satisfaction. So why would I want to grow up into that? Why would I want to go there? Brothers and sisters, as leaders within the church, it is our desire to be mature, to be ahead of you a couple steps, and show you what it is, the great joy it is to walk closely and humbly with your God. And that you would sit there and go, I want that. I long for that. 
I want to move to that. I hope my children and I hope your children see you in your marriages and in your careers and say, man, it's a lot of fun to grow up. I want to be there. I want to have that satisfaction. I want to have that joy. But sometimes we as Christians show younger believers that you don't need to grow up. You can stay at the kiddie table as long as you want. So that's the problem. They're dull of hearing. They're not moving, and they're not motivated to move anytime soon. So what causes it? Let's assess the causes. The text tells us. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become, nothros, dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. What causes it? First of all, being unproductive spiritually is the first cause. Notice the phrase there. It says, since you have become dull of hearing, well, what happened? For though by this time, underline that if you're an underliner in your Bible, for though by this time, you should have been a long farther in your journey, and you're not. You have not used the time to its fullest. Every time someone's picked up the word and preached it to you, you haven't listened. Every time you went to small group, you didn't do your study, you weren't engaged in the conversation, and so it was just a bunch of blah, la 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 la. and then you got to snack time, and then you went home doing your duty. But you never grew from it. It never produced something in you. And so they should have been way along in the process, but they weren't. Well, what does that process look like? Let's answer that first. There are three steps to the process of being a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Write these down. Number one, phase one, is you need someone to feed you. The author is not arguing or yelling or lambasting a group of young believers. Because we all know that babies need to be cared for. They need to be nurtured, they need to be loved, they need to be fed, they need to be taken care of. And they need that because they can't do that on their own. He's not talking to baby believers. He's talking to mature believers who still need someone to feed them. Notice what he says, you need milk. The phrase there is you need nursing. Now that conjures quite the picture. Because they didn't pull out of a refrigerator milk for the baby and pour it into a bottle. It came from mom. And what this author is saying is you're full-grown men and women and you're nursing at your mom's breasts. This is crazy. No one in the real world would be caught dead in that situation. You would be rendered mad as an adult to take that posture. And yet we're okay with it spiritually. Grown men and women suckling at the breast of their mom. It's uncalled for. And the writer says, you should have been way beyond this by now. Is there a season where you are fed by others? Yeah, but you're long past that. That moves to phase two. Phase two, you feed yourself. At some point, I will remember with each of our boys, Amanda opened the kitchen to them. And she was very particular about what they could do. Go into the pantry, you can grab cereal, go into the refrigerator, grab yourself some milk, grab yourself a bowl and a spoon, you've got breakfast. Breakfast was the first thing our kids learned how to do. That meant mom and dad could sleep in a little longer. And so we knew with the proper confines they could feed themselves. Then we began to move to other things. 
You can make some macaroni and cheese, man. What can you do with boiling water and fire, right? Three boys, what can you do? What can go wrong there? So we taught them, okay, this is what you got to do. And little by little, our kids now are all at a place they can feed themselves. Now, this is awesome. Now, why is it so great? Because when mom fed them, mom chose what they got to eat, right? But when you can feed yourself, you can now pick what you want to feast on, what you're in the mood for, and you don't have to talk through somebody and say, I want you to make this or that for me. These believers weren't even feeding themselves. That is, they weren't teaching themselves. They had to wait, and probably the reason for this letter was they were stagnant in their faith, and they had to wait for the preacher, the teacher, to come and teach them things. And what he's learning is they're not even ready for what he's teaching. He's got to go back to kindergarten with them. Someone feeds you, you feed yourself, and then third, you feed others. One of the great joys I've had in these last days is my son Noah is helping in the catering and he's gone on events and jobs where his sole job is to cook for people, not himself. And he's done a wonderful job with it. And there's something great about being able to take your skills of being able to not only make food for yourself, but to turn around and make it for others. Notice what he says. He says in the text, for although by this time you ought to be teachers, so he says you should be in phase three, church. You should be teaching. Now, what does that mean? Is what I'm doing right now? Yeah, for some this is teaching. But literally what the text is, you should be able to share with what you have with another. So it's one-on-one. Can you take what you know about Christ, what you know about his word, can you take it and hand it to somebody so that they can grow, so they can be nurtured by it. Where are you in that journey? Does someone have to feed you spiritually? Are you able to feed yourself spiritually? Or are you able to feed others? Can I say this? Most believers that I see out in this place, you should be in phase three by now. And some of you aren't. And you need to be challenged by this. And and you need to recognize there's some work to do. And so what is keeping you? What dullness is keeping you from it? Because you're being unproductive in the work that God has called you to. In fact, notice in uh, verse 1, he's going to say of chapter 6, we'll get to next week. Therefore, let us leave elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. The goal isn't for you to stay in the nursery. Again, in the physical realm, it makes total sense. You go back into the nursery right now, and there's a couple teenage boys in there, and they're crying, and we're like, what is your problem? Well, we're babies. No, you're not. You're young adults. Why are you acting that way? And yet, how many adult believers act like children when it comes to spiritual things? And how often do we just let it happen? Do we let it go? We need to recognize being unproductive causes it. Being undernourished causes it as well. So he pivots from the classroom to the dinner table. And he says, for uh, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles or the ABCs of the oracles of God. Now he moves to the dining room table. You need milk. Not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. Not having the right diet will stunt 
your growth. The first one is you didn't show up for the meal. The second one, the meal was placed before you and you couldn't eat it. Your palate wasn't able to digest it. And so the author says, listen, you've got to grow and you've got to start building your digestive system. You've got to build your ability to take in solid food. Now, what he talks about is, is he says that this solid meat or solid food is for the mature. Now, right away, what we'll say is, is, well, what that means is I need to start talking like this theologically, and I need to be all refined, and I need to talk about things like the hypostatic union and the impeccability of Jesus Christ and, and the Trinity, and, and all of these things come together, and I need to be studious about it. That is not the solid food that Jesus is, or what the author is talking about here. What the author is saying is, you need to be able to take the word of God and digest it so that you can use it in life. Notice what he says. What is all of this to be used for? It's used for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish from good and evil. So here's what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. I take God's word in, and as I walk this road of life, I apply God's word to the different avenues and different things that take place in my life. And so a mature follower of Jesus Christ takes what I've learned about the scriptures, and I apply it to my marriage, and I apply it to my parenting of kids. And I apply it to being a businessman. And I apply it to being a good neighbor. And I apply it to my finances. And I apply it to my calendar. And I apply it to how I interact with strangers. And I apply it to how I speak to others. And I apply it all the way. The mature follower of Jesus Christ is not about the level of knowledge, but the level that you are using God's word to be applied to your life. And so how much... You want to know if you're undernourished? How much does the word of God have bearing in everyday life? How often when something comes, is your natural response just to speak or to act instead of stopping and saying, what does the word of God say about this? How am I supposed to respond in light of what I've learned about the Lord and his son, Jesus Christ, and what I've learned about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Spiritual maturity looks at all aspects of life through the lens of scripture. Is that true of you? Only you can answer that. It moves to one final thing, and that is that we're just unchanged by it. Now, this again goes back to point one, but let me remind you of the three indictments. God's talking, that's number one, and they're not listening. Number two, instead of being in graduate school, that is applying the principles of God's word to their lives, they're in grade school. And number three, instead of enjoying the mean and solid food of God's word, you're sucking on a bottle. And that's a life that has not moved. Now, right away, there's excuses that come. He deals with the excuses right away. Notice in the text in verse 11, he says, since you have become, you weren't this way before. You weren't always dull in hearing. Something happened. Can I tell you that as I've gotten older, I've watched my peers, and it's not just here, but Christian peers that I have, where we start in our 40s to take the foot off the gas. 
And I mean that spiritually speaking. We used to be excited. We used to be fired up about the things of the Lord. But now we've kind of become a bit jaded. Maybe life's a little harder. Maybe it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And we find ourselves not living to the word. And so what will happen is, is inevitably someone will ask the question, what is the Lord teaching you? What is the word of God leading and guiding you to? And there will be two responses for an individual who's unchanged, but smart enough to know I can't say I haven't done anything or I don't know the answer because I haven't opened God's word in a long, long time. We'll do one of two things. Number one, we'll talk about someone else's walk of faith. So, hey, Tim, how's, how's your faith? How is the Lord teaching you? What is God showing you in these last days? Well, let me tell you about what's going on at the church. God's doing great things at the church. People are raising money for us to do some awesome renovations of the church. And uh, last night, the student ministries had over 70 kids for a turkey hunt. It was great. They had a, had a blast doing it. Man, it's just really exciting. Mario does a great job in leading uh, that. And, and man, there's a lot of awesome stuff going on. Well, wait a minute, Tim. I was asking about you. You told me about everybody else. Well, I'm going to keep talking about everybody else until you get off about me. The second thing that we'll do, we won't talk about others. We'll talk about ourselves long, long time ago. Hey, Tim, what are you learning about God? What are you growing in your faith and, and your trust in Jesus Christ? And what I do is I go with the beginning of any Star Wars movie, this big, long script a long, long time ago in galaxies far, far away. I was in youth group once, and boy, we did some great things back in those days. I went on a missions trip a couple of years ago and God moved mountains in that way. And, and I start talking about all this nostalgic things of all these great things that God may have done. And you're not lying about it. You're just depending on the past because you've been unchanged for a while. The only thing you've got to work off of is things from yesteryear. Oh, the good old days. When you start talking about the good old days, that means the days today aren't that great. Have you noticed that? So when you talk about spiritual glory days in the past, that means there's not spiritual glory days in the present. When you start hearing yourself talking that way, beware, believer, you find yourself in a place of being unchanged. And something, something caused you to become that. Now the writer has talked about it. You've drifted away. You've allowed disbelief to fill you. You've allowed now the dullness of Christianity to wear on you. And he says, it's got to change. You should be at the grown-up table by now, but you're at the kiddie table. And you're missing out on the blessings that God has. And so he gives the cure. Notice the cure this morning. And let's just thank God that he allows this cure because then we can apply it to our lives. Listen, God doesn't want you to stay as a child spiritually. It's true in the physical level. It's true in the emotional world, but it's also true in the spiritual realm. You've got to grow and develop. Your righteousness and holiness is going to depend on it. You cannot live off of the leftovers of God's word from years ago. You need to be taught it each and every day. So it's time to grow up. She, the baby's helping me. It's time to grow up. That's right. Keep doing it, baby. I love it. Okay? 
So how do we do it? How do we grow up? We get more engaged. We get more engaged. The writer says spiritual immaturity is because of being dull of hearing. Let's talk about it right now. Let's get serious, okay? How motivated are you right now? How engaged are you right now? Where are you at right now as I'm talking? Some of you checked out 10 minutes into my talk. Let's be honest, five minutes, okay? And I'm not demonizing. Listen, I've been a part of long sermons too, okay? But, and by the way, just so I don't forget this, I'm on the hook for this. I've got to passionately and correctly teach the word of God. I don't want you to think that I can just be up here and say, listen, we're going to preach and preach until someone falls out of a window and dies. All right? That's already happened in the book of Acts. So I'm not going to preach into the long hours of the day. But how engaged are you? Now, here's what I read every week. Almost every week that I read a blog by a pastor, here's what they'll say. Okay? Pastor, preach shorter sermons. Okay. Why? Because your listeners' attention spans have gotten smaller. Hmm. I don't know. I look at the world around me, and these people can look at six-inch screens in front of them for hours on end. They can look at little shapes in the, uh, in the shapes of fruits and press buttons and never move and they, they, they're locked in. They're crushing candy all over the place. They're creating little warlord groups of people with their friends and having this clash of titans takes place and they're doing it no problem. Our kids can sit there in front of a controller and play things like uh, Minecraft for hours on end and you're telling me, listen, let me forget this. You're going to spend three hours minimum watching Football today. You say, no, no, I'm not. Okay. Right now, the hours spent, the average American spends seven hours a day on screen time. Seven hours. Well, I'm not one of those people. You're not average then. And they're going to tell me where we need to clean things up is with a group of Christians, pastors sit down and shut up. They don't have the attention span. Am I wrong? And so we've got to be careful. Now, again, that doesn't mean I can preach for seven hours. I get my limitations, but how engaged are you in the word of God? You call yourself a believer. How much do you want to hear about your savior? Which scripture best defines you? You say, okay, Tim, you're, you're, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me ask you this. There's two scriptures I want you to judge your life on. Write this one down. Jeremiah 6.10. Jeremiah 6.10, and then Psalm 119.97 and 98. Jeremiah 6.10, and Psalm 119.97 and 98. Let me read them to you, and let me ask you where you land. Jeremiah 6.10, their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. That's not Tim, that's the Lord speaking. Do you find pleasure being here right now? Listening to the word of God. Or are you a person like Psalm 119, 97, 98? Oh, how I love and treasure the revelation of your word. Throughout the day, I fill my heart with its light. Where are you at? These Hebrews found no pleasure in the word of God. And by his grace, God brought a messenger to say, get the wax out of your ears. You're not hearing. Finally, we need to get more exercise, and I'll close with this. 
If you want to be physically fit, you got to exercise. The same is true for being spiritually fit. Notice what he says. He says that for those that have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, you want to be in the word, you got to practice it. Now, there's a lot of ways you can do it. One thing I always get concerned about is a pastor will say, all right, this is what we're going to do tomorrow at 4.45 in the morning. Tomorrow morning, we're all going to get up and we're all going to read the Bible and we're going to pray. This is what we're going to do because this is what righteousness is. It's not that cut and dry, all right? What is being said is, is that I'm going to practice living in the presence of God and His Word. Now, you can do that a lot of ways. You can get up at 445 and do that in the morning. You can do that as you're listening to worship music, as you head off to work. You can listen to other awesome godly preachers who preach and teach the Word of God. You can read books about different elements of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There are many tools, there are many machines to practice your spirituality. And we should be doing it. And we should be doing it constantly, daily. We should be practicing these things, exercising spiritually. The writer's going to move on. But what he's going to tell us in chapter 6 is our goal. Our desire should be that we move on to maturity. Are you moving on to maturity? I'm so thankful he stopped on this great theme of God or Jesus Christ being the great high priest of God to ask the question, are we listening? Brothers and sisters, God has much for us as we mature and grow in Christ. I'll finish with this. My relationship with my wife, I loved her in the beginning. I love her way more now because our relationship has deepened and it has grown over the years. And I'm experiencing joys, more joys than I ever would have thought as a uh, 20-year-old groom that I would have ever experienced. Why? Because I'm practicing what it is to be in relationship with my wife. Likewise, as Christians, there is greater joy. There is greater relationship to be found when we give our lives over to the Word of God. Are you willing to stay at the kiddie table? Or are you willing, are you ready, committed to God? to move to the things that he's called you to, to grow to maturity. God's word is the way we do it. And my prayer is by the Holy Spirit, you and I will come to that conclusion and allow the word of God to impact our lives in every way, each and every day.